Well, it is great to see you here. Uh, welcome to Kairos. My name is Mike. I'm the Kairos pastor. And it's so good to see so many of you here. I know a lot of people have been in and out with spring break. Last week was spring break for a bunch of you. This week also, spring break. And so hopefully we'll be all done with all those breaks and back to normal soon. Last week was awesome. We had an incredible night of worship. We had everybody on the floor and we heard so much feedback from you about how much you loved it. We're gonna do that again next week. So we're not gonna do a night of worship. It's gonna be regular Kairos, but we're gonna be back on the floor, bring in the heat, uh, have the rugs out, have some chairs for people that want chairs, but we're excited to bring that back next week because there's something electric in this place when we can see each other worshiping when we're all on the same level. It just feels so incredibly warm and vibrant. So we're gonna try that next week and see how we, we take to that. Um, now, if you've got a copy of the scriptures, why don't you open with me to Mark chapter two. We're gonna be starting verse 23. Now here's the deal, everybody in this room is busy. I've noticed a phenomenon recently when I'm talking to people is that every time I ask people how things are going, they say what? They say they're busy, right? I don't know when this happened. It used to uh, be that people would tell you that they're doing great or that they're you know, excited about the future, but now everybody's just busy. They're always busy. We're all busy and we're all tired. And I think this happens at every stage of our life. So some of us, you know, when we're in college, we're just so busy. We've never had as much responsibility as we have right now. And we're just like trying to keep our head above water, trying to balance like Xbox and school and life and all the things, right? And we're just busy. And then you get your first job and you realize in college it was pretty busy, but now you're even more busy, right? You're like, man, I have very little time to go do all the things I used to do. I can't go play Frisbee on the quad or do all this stuff. Now I have to go to work all day, okay? Summer break is over forever. I'm more busy than I've ever been in my life. And you look at the college students and you go, you're not busy, I'm busy. Let me just tell you, for those of you in this room who are in the young adult category, when you get married, all of a sudden, you realize that you're more busy than you've ever been because now you have to share your life with somebody else's schedule. You have to have meetings about your schedule. It's like so busy. You have to be like, all right, so when are we gonna go on this vacation this weekend? Like you have to like plan your stuff and you feel so busy. And then you have a kid and it just wrecks your illusions on what busyness was before because all of a sudden you can never sleep in again, ever. Okay, that's the, the hidden part of being a parent. Okay, I've got four kids. When you have a kid, you think it's super fun and super sweet, but let me just tell you, your life is officially different forever. Like I tell every family that's about to have a child, I say, watch every movie you ever wanna watch in a theater because you're never gonna go to one again, okay? It's just over because you never have the time to go on a date to a movie. It just takes too long. It costs money. You have to pay for a babysitter. You become so busy. And then you have a second kid. And let me just tell you, parents with two kids look down on parents with one kid. They're like having one kid is like not even having a kid because like you have one kid. That's all you have to worry about. You have two. You're like trying to keep both of them alive all the time. You're so busy because you're trying to do work and play and all the other stuff. You have no time. And then you have a third kid and you look down on the kid, people with only two kids. You have four. I feel like I'm so busy. I have four kids. 
Like I'm an Uber driver to my kid's best life. That's all I do is drive kids to sports games and stuff that they wanna do. I never get to do anything I wanna do anymore because I have four kids. And the other day I realized I'm a complete slacker because I ran into a friend of mine who has eight children. And I was like, I cannot even imagine what life is like for you. We're all busy and we're all tired. Sometimes we think the way to get not tired is to go on vacation, right? We're like, if I can just take some time off, if I could just have a break, if I could just like stop doing the things that I'm doing, if I could go look at different things, if I could go to a different town, if I could go stare at a beach for a while, then I won't feel busy and tired anymore. So guess what? We go on a trip. And then when we start coming back from that trip, we realize we need a vacation from our vacation. I don't know if you've been there. I was there this weekend. My family, we went to the Georgia mountains, beautiful place, North Georgia mountains. We went to a town called Blue Ridge. I don't know if anybody's ever been there. Anybody been to Blue Ridge? It's like Gatlinburg, like it's like bougie Gatlinburg is what it is, okay? So we went there, had a great time, stared at some trees, hung out with some friends, and then we decided to drive home. And that trip, which should have been a two and a half hour trip, turned into a four and a half hour trip, and we needed a vacation from the trip back. Why? Because we're always tired, we're always busy. And here's the good news that Jesus talks about rest all the time because he understands that if we are not careful, we will fill our lives with busyness and we will miss intimacy with God and other people because we're created to be people with a deep relationship with Jesus Christ and others. And when we're too busy, that's the first thing that goes. So you're gonna find a story today. It's, in fact, it's two stories about Sabbath and how Jesus interacts with the Sabbath. And sandwiched in between these two stories, you're gonna find Jesus's teaching on the Sabbath. And it's what spurred people to want to kill him. Okay, that's what the stakes were on Jesus's teaching of rest and the Sabbath. So in Mark chapter two, we'll read you the story, we'll kind of walk through it together and then we'll make some application points, okay? So the first thing we find here in Mark two, verse 23, it says, on the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So we're gonna pause right there because I think we need to do a little bit of work to unpack what the Sabbath is. Some of us know what the Sabbath is. Some of us don't. Some of us think Sabbath is simply like not doing anything on Saturdays, but that's not what the Sabbath was, okay? The Sabbath was a day that God had set aside for his people to rest and worship. And he gave it to them in the 10 commandments. In fact, in the fourth commandment, the longest of all the commandments, God says this. If you go to Exodus, you don't have to go there. I'm just gonna read it to you. It's gonna be on the screen. But in Exodus chapter 20, verse eight, God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. God said on the seventh day of the week, which was Saturday, no one's supposed to do anything. And they would observe this from sundown on Friday all the way to sundown on Saturday. People were supposed to not do anything at all. 
They're supposed to rest and God gives them no outs. He says, you're supposed to do this and your family's supposed to do this and the servants that are there and your, your uh, animals, you're supposed to not do anything at all. The only people we know that do something sort of like this today is Chick-fil-A, right? They're it, Chick-fil-A. Wonderful Christian chicken. I love Chick-fil-A. It's like my favorite food ever. Like I eat it all the time. I'm like triple platinum in points on Chick-fil-A. Like I use it all the time. I use the app. Like I love Chick-fil-A. This weekend, I told you I was on vacation, Blue Ridge. There's a little town, the only one in the area that has a Chick-fil-A. It's called LJ. We were in LJ and I was like, sweet, we can get Chick-fil-A. I was so excited. And I realized it was Sunday and I was like, no, why, why is it closed? Because Trick Kathy, who started Chick-fil-A, believed in taking Sundays for worship to rest on that day and said, I'm not gonna do it. My workers aren't gonna do it. We're gonna take a break. And today we find some of the very few people who do this idea of Sabbath are still some of the Jews, the Orthodox Jews. And I had a chance to go to Israel and see this firsthand when I was there several years ago. And I was so shocked to see them observing Sabbath that it just threw me for a loop. So my wife and I, we were in Tel Aviv. We went down to the beach because there's actually a beach in Tel Aviv. Went out, came back on Friday evening and tried to go into the door of our hotel and it did not work. And the reason why it did not work is because the door, it was an electric door, was resting. And I found out all kinds of other things. They would make rest that day. They wouldn't drive their cars. The, the street lights would only flash yellow because they were resting. The elevators wouldn't work. The espresso machine wouldn't work. Why? Because they were taking God's command to rest very, very seriously. Yet we don't do the same. Now, before we start beating ourselves up too much, we're going to talk a little bit as to why we don't rest quite like this anymore. And it's going to come in just a minute. But I just want you to see that God is very serious about the concept of rest. He's very serious about it. And the reason why he does this is because God models rest. If you continue reading in Exodus chapter 20, you see in verse 11, it says this. It says, the reason why you should do this is because in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. The reason we rest is because God rested and God didn't have to rest. God made everything simply by speaking it into existence. He said, let there be light. And there was. God was not tired by creating light. He was not tired by creating humanity and the world that we live in. And yet God was like, I am calling it quits for an entire day and I'm going to rest. Because I rested, I want you to rest. Think about it. Almighty God of the universe chose to rest. And so you find within that context, now Jewish leaders who are resting to this kind of level, looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're allowing your followers to break the Sabbath laws as they harvest the grain and they eat it. This does not seem like you're acting in accordance to the law of Moses. You're breaking the commandments. You find Jesus responding to them in a very curious way. Look with me in verse 25. He said to them, have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for anyone to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to his companions. 
Then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Right there, those two verses are the central teaching that Jesus has on the Sabbath. Just put a pin right there. We're gonna continue reading the story. It says this, Jesus entered the synagogue again and a man was there with a shriveled hand in order to accuse him. They're watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. Then he said to him, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And after looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and immediately his hand was restored. And immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him on how they might kill him. What you find here is you find these two stories. Jesus' disciples are harvesting grain. He allows them to do it. Then the Pharisees watch him enter into the place of worship on the Sabbath. There's a man there who's, who's crippled. His hand is shriveled up and Jesus tells him to raise his hand out and he is healed. And they are so angry at him healing this man on the Sabbath that they begin to plot to kill Jesus. And here we find something fascinating in that we find people with very good intentions choosing to make something that God gave us for our good as a religion rather than a relationship. And the reason I say that is because what you find Jesus talking about when he talks about the Sabbath is he points to a foundational truth. I want you to jump back with me to uh, verse 27. What you see Jesus saying here is he says this. He says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. He says that... The whole purpose that God gave us the Sabbath was for us and our flourishing. We were not created for it. We were created to be at peace with God, but we were not created simply to celebrate a day. The day is a picture, it's a window, it's a conduit to far greater reality. And here you find Jesus doing something incredible when he teaches us about who he really is. You see, every time that Jesus taught about the law, he raised the stakes. So he says, you know, If you are someone who uh, wants to keep the law, it's not enough not just to not do adulterous immorality. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, it's as if you've slept with her. He says this, he says, it's not just enough not to kill somebody, but if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, it's the same thing as killing them. And Jesus raises the standard of what it means to really honor God with your life. But when it comes to the Sabbath, Jesus breaks it over and over and over again. Two times in these two stories, he breaks the Sabbath. So you have to ask the question, why? Why would Jesus be okay with breaking the Sabbath? Do you know? The reason why is because Jesus wants us to move our gaze from a day of religious observance to the very purpose of the Sabbath, which is the idea of rest. Resting in a person, not in a point of time. And here Jesus points us to the incredible reality is that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the exact purpose of the Sabbath. All the Sabbath is pointing us to is the fact that we cannot make it in our own strength. We need a savior. And you find people talking about this throughout the Bible. In Hebrews chapter four, you find the writer of the book of Hebrews saying, 
there was a rest that was promised, a Sabbath rest that the people could not enter into. Yet Jesus now is giving us true rest in him. This is why Jesus says this in, um, in Matthew chapter 11. He says this to everybody who would hear. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my burden is easy and my burden is light. Y'all, I just want to speak from my heart for just a moment. Resting is so hard for me. And I think the reason why is because I think that if I don't work as hard as I can, if I don't fill every moment, if I don't maximize my time, I'm letting down somebody somewhere and someone out there is vaguely disappointed in me. I feel like God's disappointed in me. So I work as hard as I can and I fill up my time because I'm an Enneagram three and that's what we do. We're just like, let's go. I'm gonna work harder. And if I'm not careful, I miss what Jesus is offering me. He's, he's offering me true rest. He's offering you the same. Most of us are busy. We're so busy. We are the busiest we've ever been. And this moment will not be as busy as the next one because then we will be the busiest we've ever been. But here's the thing is that Jesus wants you to be free of all that busyness. Because our business is tied to our identity. When Jesus says, I want you to come to me so that you can find rest, he makes a condition for it. And the condition for that rest is what? It's to bring me your burdens. I don't know what your burden is. You might be trying still to prove yourself to your mom or your dad or to that boyfriend or girlfriend or that boss that's still in your head living there rent-free. Or maybe you're, you're just unwilling to really trust Jesus with the trauma that you've had. And so you fill your life with Netflix and looking at your phone and being so busy with things that don't matter so that you don't ultimately have to deal with the fact that you're deeply unhappy. If that's you, I know what that feels like. Man, listen, it's so easy to get just caught up in all the burdens that we're carrying and yet not really bring them to Jesus. Because Jesus promises us a great rest, which is found in him. When we say my identity is found in Jesus and I give him the burden, then God is able to take it and do something beautiful with it. So if you're asking the question, like, what is the, what is the secret of rest? It's not taking a day every week. It's not going on a great vacation. The secret of rest is found in two steps. The first is this. You ready for it? First one is give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. I'm going to give my burden to Jesus. I'm going to name it, and I'm going to trust him with it. Whether that's your job performance, your approval, your sense of worth that you're carrying that's exhausting you, the sense of busyness that you're, you're constantly thinking about it, that you're always thinking about, it. you're always like processing it. When everybody's away, you're thinking about it all the time. God wants you to just give it to him. He says, bring me your burden.
Step two is repeat step one. <laughs> there is no step two. It's simply going back and saying, okay, I've taken the burden back and I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna take the burden back and I'm gonna give it to you. I can't keep taking it back. I'm just gonna really give it to Jesus. And when I find myself feeling overwhelmed and busy and stressed out, overcommitted and just deeply unhappy, I realize it's because I'm no longer trusting Christ with the burden. Because rest is not about busyness, it's about burdens. And probably the greatest thing that'll keep us from trusting God with the burden is this, it's, it's our phones. This joker, you know what its purpose in life is? You know what it is? It's for you to look at it. That's all it wants. It's got one purpose. It wants you to look at it. I saw a statistic that said young adults touch their phones 4,000 times a day. And I was like, that's a lie, until I started counting how many times I touched my phone. It wants me to look at it. It's constantly asking me to touch it. I got to reach out just to make sure it's there. If I leave it in the room, I have a panic attack. Why? Because... It's filling my mind. And what Jesus wants me to do is to fill my mind with him and not with a bunch of stuff that I see on TikTok or Instagram. Many of us commit our time and our mind more to Instagram than we do to Jesus. It's the first thing we look at. It's the last thing we look at. And Jesus is saying, I need you to put it down. You know, there was a story about technology when we first started getting electricity and computers and automation, scientists were saying like, man, this is gonna be amazing. Nobody's gonna know what to do with their time. They're not gonna have to like wash their clothes anymore. There's a machine that's gonna do that. They're not gonna have to wash their dishes anymore. A machine's gonna do that. You're not gonna have to do almost anything. You can get to places even faster in your cars. You have a machine that even think for you. You're gonna have so much time. Guess what we did with all that time? We got TV and we watch it. We have our phones and we stare at them and anxiety continues to build within us. And in the middle of all of this, Jesus says, I want you to rest. I want you to rest. So tonight, we're gonna do a moment of 120 seconds. And we're gonna do a different one than I thought. We're gonna do this one right here which is simply this, will you choose to rest in Jesus? Friend, I don't know what burden you're carrying, but Jesus wants you to rest in him. He does. If you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to take this to heart. God knows what you're going through. You know, the, the, the book of Psalms says that God knows every hair that's on your head. Some of us have more hairs than others. Like mine's quickly going the way of all things, going away. But it's amazing to me that God knows us at that level. He knows who you are. He knows everything about you. And God has given us a moment of rest, the Sabbath, 
He's given us a person of rest, Jesus, so that we can say, God, you need to do what only you can do. And I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to create margin where I can connect to Jesus. And so I just want us to be still in this moment. Ask the question, will you choose to rest in Jesus tonight? Whatever the burden is that you're carrying in this place tonight, will you release it to Jesus? Let me pray for us as we enter in this time of reflection. Jesus, release the burden to you. 